Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning and happy Monday to everyone out across America. And of course, if you were like me, you thought, wow, I didn't expect to uh, be falling asleep to C-SPAN on a Friday night (laughs) watching Congress, but there we were. So the big news, of course, this morning is that we did get a Speaker of the House elected, and that person is Kevin McCarthy. So there have been a lot of comments on social media, a lot of comments, of course, on mainstream media about uh, whether or not this is a good decision and how effective the 20 ultimately were. So joining me this morning is one of my favorite people in Congress, uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia. And of course, she was one of the ones who initially has supported McCarthy, thought that uh, he made some great concessions even going into the initial speaker vote. She's taken a lot of flack online, which I don't think is very fair. Uh, But Marjorie Taylor Greene, thanks so much for joining me to give us your perspective this morning. And Congresswoman, hopefully she's here with us. And oh, until- hi, Jenna. Jenna hi, good, good morning. morning. How are you, Marjorie? I'm doing great. I tell you, one good perspective for us to all start on is Nancy Pelosi no longer holds the gavel. Our Republicans are in control, and we are so ready to get to work. Excellent. And, you know, you were one of the original people who supported uh, Congressman Kevin McCarthy. And you have said very publicly, you said on my podcast uh, about six weeks ago, that you were supporting him. Tell people who are concerned about uh, whether or not he's going to be conservative enough, you know, have some other questions, why you supported him then and you think that the American people and the GOP base should support him now. Well, um, early on, it was very easy for me to see the writing on the wall. Um, I only operate in reality, and that's what I was trying to be upfront with everyone about in the beginning. You see, the makeup of our conference, and you know, out of 222 Republican members of Congress, we don't have enough conservatives to elect a conservative speaker. Anyone that lives in a Democrat district understands this. If you don't have enough Republican votes, you can't elect a Republican representative. If you don't have enough conservative members of Congress, you can't elect a true conservative, um, you know, very, uh, you know, America first MAGA type speaker. It's just the votes aren't there. And so I was honest with everyone all along when, unfortunately, some of my friends and colleagues were misleading people. And, and saying, you know, they were going down this never Kevin road. The other thing for me is I'm tired of the Republican Party being the party of never because that hurt President Trump so much. And it hurt our agenda that we truly believed in um, simply because people went against him because they did not like him. So I always take the personality off the table. I don't believe in, in any job being about a person or a personality, whether you like them or don't like them. Um, it was very simple for me. There was an agenda there that I could support. And I also spent, you know, the past year 
going and meeting with Kevin McCarthy and talking to him about his agenda and talking to him about how he felt on all kinds of issues. And so when it came time for us to, when we won the majority, which thank God we did, it's the only Republican majority we have in the federal government, it was easy for me to make that decision of, yes, of course, I'm going to support Kevin McCarthy, because guess what else? Jenna, this is the this is the one point that got highlighted big time that a lot of upset conservatives are missing. The very fight they saw on the House floor this past week, guess what? That can happen on any bill. And I would rather wage fights like that on key pieces of legislation, um, very important spending bills, um, or any type of uh, uh, resolution that we pass in the House. I would rather put the put the energy and the fire and the fight into doing the right thing versus making it about never someone. And um, so we have 222 Republican members of Congress. We have to have 218 to pass anything. And so we got to get Republicans on page. Let's make sure that we fight the right fight instead of fighting a person. And when I'm speaking with Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you know, you make a good point in terms of fighting the fights that need to be to be fought. But is that mutually exclusive? Because there are some people who are saying, "Well, this is a fight that needed to be happen to happen." Uh, but also, there are people who are saying that because the fight for Speaker happened, that really broke the conference in terms of a lot of the more moderates. That now it's going to be more difficult to fight things moving forward. So has the fight for speaker changed the dynamic uh, in terms of being able to fight the fights on the legislation and the agenda that you're talking about? Well, I I also think that's a good question. I I really wish they had not pushed it so far because they do have the other side pretty upset, you know, and and that's the way it works. Um, A lot of they, they pushed it so far and it was unnecessary. Let me get into the details there. The rules package was already there. The only true changes they got was motion to vacate went from five members of Congress to one member. That was the one true change. But that was also unnecessary because, again, last week they were proving that it was easy to get at least five or more to vacate the chair. They were preemptively vacating it before Kevin McCarthy was even elected. So that was was like a minor detail. there are things I do like in the rules package. I like the, the 12 separate appropriation bills. But guess what? That in meetings before we even got anywhere near last week, Kevin McCarthy was already talking about that. He was asking people. He was asking everyone, how do you guys want to do this? Do you want to do 12 separate appropriation bills? Do you want to do several small packages? Do you want to do one? He was completely open to hearing what everybody wanted and was talking about it with everyone. So it's kind of unfair. I think Kevin McCarthy is, has been attacked so hard um, that people don't truly know the real conversations that took place. Uh, unfortunately, that's because some people did a lot of fundraising off of last week. Uh, simply being never Kevin seemed to be the fight that they picked. But, you know, going forward, we have to vote on the rules package tonight. And there was already a tweet that came out last week saying that, um, you know, I think it was Anthony Gonzalez from Texas saying he wouldn't vote for the rules package. Some of the moderates feel like the conservatives pushed pushed so far that it, it pushed it to places they didn't want to go. And again, I think I think that's a problem too. The same way I think the speaker fight went on too long. 
I think voting against the rules is silly, too, because, again, everyone needs to get focused on the real issue, the political reality. Come into political reality. Get out of your feelings. We have Joe Biden in the White House. We have a Democrat-controlled Senate. It's not like we can pass major legislative changes and Joe Biden is going to sign them into law. That is not going to happen. But what we can do is use the power of our voting cards, and that's what each of us have, to work it out, work out the details, um, to get the 218 on every single thing we do. And, and that is, you know, that's what I do like that happened, Jenna, is the, the American people got to see that happen on camera. Like, it happened all week long on camera, and I do think that was productive. I think, I think a lot of voters needed to see a fight. They want to see, they want to see people fighting for what they think is right. Um, unfortunately, to me, I, I saw a little deeper into it is the fight didn't need to go on that long because there were some members of Congress there that were really suffering because of it. Um, Roger Williams' wife had had a stroke. And she was in the hospital, uh, and he couldn't go home to be with his wife. Um, Wesley Hunt, his wife had a baby four weeks premature, and the baby was in the hospital, and then his wife had to go back into the hospital. Um, Kevin Hearn's mother passed away, and, and everything was being delayed at home uh, because of the speaker fight. There were multiple members of Congress with emergencies and family issues that needed to go home, and that had tensions and emotions extremely high when when we had, you know, a handful of, of Republicans holding things up when there was they had nothing else to get but like subcommittee chair positions or, or something for themselves. And yeah, that talk about it being very, personal. Very- at that point, I mean, and that that does make it a lot more personal for people who have uh, family emergencies and, you know, reasons to get home. And I'm talking with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, you know, you mentioned that the people do like to see a fight and they like to see uh, democracy on display in our constitutional republic. And um, and I think people forget that even with a Republican majority, it's a slim majority and not all Republicans vote in a block like the Democrats do. And so um, do you see this type of fracturing into these different coalitions within the Republican Party of the Never Kevins and, and some of those uh, versus some of the more moderate Republicans that wouldn't ever elect someone like a Jim Jordan to speaker? Uh, do you see people coming together now and actually working together, getting the rules package passed and Kevin McCarthy uh, following through on his word to the concessions that he made? Or is he going to have to change that now because of some of the moderates that are upset? Well, we, we're all just coming back into town today. Um, every, you know, we elected Kevin McCarthy very, very late uh, in the night on well Friday, Saturday morning actually, and um, so everybody's come, we haven't all come back together yet. What I've what I've heard is I think it's going to pass. Um, you know, I think there's been some talks with any anyone that's still holding up the rules package, but I, I think it's going to pass. I hope it does. Jenna, here's what I really think: the American people are so sick and tired of drama in Washington, and I am just as angry as they are at and this whole reason why I ran for Congress is I absolutely hate what Congress has done to the American people. Um, I do think that there is someone that needs to be held accountable. But I think a lot of the vitriol 
and anger got focused on Kevin McCarthy when it should be heavily focused on Mitch McConnell. That's the one, you know, people, people were basically, it was like pitchforks and torches wanting someone's head on a platter. And it shouldn't have been Kevin McCarthy's. He didn't pass the $1.7 trillion horrific omnibus. That was Mitch McConnell that did that, that made a deal with the Democrats and delivered Biden's agenda. We couldn't stop it. Kevin McCarthy, he whipped against it. Everyone, he fought everyone, told them do not vote for it. But he literally can't control people's voting cards. Uh, you know, we had we had a handful that voted for it, unfortunately. But the Democrats still could have passed it, even if every Republican voted against it, because that was before we took over. So I think, to me, I, I believe there's something coming up, and I think it should be a key issue in this race. The RNC chair, the race for to yes. be chair of the RNC, I think there should be a conversation and if there's a debate, I think every single candidate should be asked, what are you going to do about Mitch McConnell? Because yeah. Mitch McConnell doesn't have an election coming up real soon, but he is the biggest enemy that we have in the Republican Party. I think people need to give Kevin McCarthy a chance because, um, like I said, we have a razor-thin majority. Kevin, people are going to be surprised. They're going to be shocked when they find out that he's not the the terrible, scary rhino that they've been told he is. They're going to find out. I hope that's true. I hope that's true. And I hope that we see some uh, really good actions from Kevin McCarthy. And those of us who are skeptical can uh, come behind him. Of course, as Christians, all of us should be praying for our leaders and praying for those who are in authority, including everyone in Congress and including you. And in just the last uh, 30 seconds that I have with you uh, today, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, speaking of people getting personal and hateful, you have received a lot of hate uh, for posting a picture with him from the House floor, for supporting this, for being practical, all of those things. I know you are a true fighter. I know that you uh, care deeply about this country. You have your priorities straight. So what would you say to the people who are suggesting that just because they disagree with you on this issue of McCarthy, that somehow you're a rhino now? Oh, my goodness. So, well, they're going to quickly find out there's nothing changed about me. And I'll never apologize for posting a picture of our newly elected Republican Speaker of the House after I have suffered and, and truly been persecuted under Nancy Pelosi. I'm not sorry about that. I am so excited that we elected Kevin McCarthy because I know the agenda that he's laid out and he cannot wait to get it passed. We just got to get Republicans together on board for all of us to work hard for the American Great. people and get it done. Well, Time thank you, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. We're out of time. I so appreciate you. We'll be right back with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning here on AFR. In the season of giving, you can be the answer to their prayer today. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and since Labor Day, we've been working toward a goal of putting God's Word into the hands and hearts of 16,000 Bibleist believers around the world. Here's a few that are praying for a Bible. Ahmed is a former Muslim beaten by extremists when he came to faith in Christ. He's praying for a Bible. Miriam is a widowed mother of three in Mozambique, Africa. Very sadly, her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime, but she's praying for a Bible. Carla was a follower of 
pagan practices in Venezuela. He's praying for a Bible now as a Christ follower. And then Washi and her husband are livestock farmers in China. They want to raise their children to know and love Jesus. They're praying for a Bible. Listen, to date, you've put 10,000 Bibles into the hands of Bibleist believers. We'd love to see another 6,000 by the end of the year. So please, at $5 a Bible, would you make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's travel habits have hit some turbulence. Secretary Buttigieg facing a possible investigation for his use of private planes to jet around the world. Fox News reports the Transportation Secretary used government private jets at least 18 times. Most recently, Buttigieg and his spouse attended a sporting event in the Netherlands. Buttigieg pushed back, said the only reason people were upset is because he's married to a man, homophobia. But in 2017, Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price resigned after he racked up more than a million dollars using government-funded private jets and military planes. He also reimbursed the government for his wife's travel expenses. So why would it be any different for a member of the Biden administration, especially for a cabinet secretary who preaches against carbon emissions? It's not homophobia. It's hypocrisy. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. But when we come back, our very first bill will repeal the funding for 87,000 new items. You see? We believe government should be to help you, not go after you. 
That is newly elected Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy as he addresses Congress for the first time as Speaker and dedicating himself to the first bill that hopefully the new Republican majority will pass as repealing the funding for the 87,000 new IRS agents, as well as some other concessions that were made to get him over the top. He ultimately won on Friday night um, around midnight uh, with 216 votes over the Democrats, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, 211 votes, and six members of the Republican caucus voted present, thus lowering the bar needed for McCarthy to clinch the position. So where he goes from here, well, that will be up to Congress. Of course, they do need to vote on the rules package tonight, and Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene joined me in the first segment. If uh, you did not catch that, you can always go back and hear the replay of this show on the podcast podcast at AFR.net. And she is one of my favorite people in Congress. Uh, I think that she has gotten a lot of hate on this issue um, and a lot of questions and and name calling and things like her being a rhino uh, just for supporting Kevin McCarthy in a really unfair manner. There are going to be a lot of things that all of us disagree with and particular issues or votes that we would disagree with with certain members of Congress. But just because we disagree with one thing, doesn't make them a rhino or Republican in name only. We can disagree with people's positions as long as they are not immoral positions. We may disagree with the wisdom of certain positions, but we can still support them overall without that type of name name calling. And you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Jenna Ellis with your top headlines. So, of course, Speaker McCarthy did address Congress that rules package tonight. Uh, Second top story, DeMar Hamlin is supporting his team from the hospital and says, quote, God is using me in a different way today. This has been an amazing story of God's protection and providence and also recognition that in the NFL, which has been, of course, a source of um, a lot of hostility toward um, things that are American, like our American flag. The Pledge of Allegiance. It's been the source of a lot of controversy with a lot of players choosing to kneel for the national anthem. Now we have one young man who unfortunately suffered a truly traumatic injury on the field, and he is using this to further promote his testimony and the name of our Savior. This is a wonderful example of how we should all be living Christianly in our daily lives and taking things that were meant for evil that we can use for the good of furthering and promoting the gospel. So I love to see that. I love to see how uh, sports players, even if they were ones that knelt for the national anthem, they are now kneeling in prayer when they know and they know that they have to proclaim the name of our Lord and Savior when everything is on the line, not just winning a game or winning a political controversy, but ultimately asking the Lord to protect their fellow teammates. Great uh, story there. Uh, Next, Christy Nome demands accountability after the federal government leaks the social security numbers of her and her family. So South Dakota Governor Nome is demanding answers, according to Fox News, on how federal agencies allowed her personal information to become public in the aftermath of record releases from the January 6th committee, as well as how those agencies plan to combat the potential results of that leak. So Christy Nome tweeted, my lawyers have asked the White House 
House, the U.S. National Archives, and Chairman Benny Thompson, which of them is responsible for leaking the social security numbers of me, my husband, my three kids, and my son-in-law? What specific measures and remedies will be taken to protect our identities? And so according to Town Hall, Nome has said that when she and her family visited former President Trump at the White House in December 2020, their personal information was recorded on visitor logs, which then became evidence for the January 6th committee. As a result, the unredacted Social Security numbers were put into a spreadsheet and then posted online this week, which was taken down on Wednesday. But of course, the damage is done. You can't unring that bell. So how exactly the January 6th committee uh, that is now, of course, um, disbanded and basically concluded is going to deal with this will be very interesting. And um, it's also been interesting to me. And of course, full disclosure, I was subpoenaed by the January 6th committee because of my um, representation of former President Trump and the Trump campaign. And it was interesting to me looking at all of uh, the published uh, the, the publications that came out of the January 6th committee testimony, they redacted a lot, if not all, of the legal counsel that represented the committee on behalf of the government, but they didn't redact my lawyer's name. They didn't redact uh, other people who testified their lawyer's name. So you have to wonder, was this intentional? Uh, is this something that can be litigated? Christy Nome certainly uh, thinks so. And well, you know, of course, releasing a name isn't uh, necessarily illegal in um, in that release. Uh, Social security numbers, uh, potentially, that is illegal. But also you have to wonder what is their intention? Why would they have the name of lawyers that are unredacted in some of these things when you've seen such hostility uh, from people who are opposed to President Trump, his allies, and his representatives. So we'll keep a close eye on that. And if Christy Nome does sue, uh, then certainly I will bring you legal analysis right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Uh, Next top headline, Oregon Education Department wants schools to hide gender identities from parents and teach queer theory. So we're seeing so many more headlines like this, unfortunately, especially from the blue states. According to Town Hall, a guide published by the Oregon Public uh, of Education, uh, the ODE, encourages schools to hide students' gender identity from their parents. In the 48-page document, the guide tells students to hide their gender identity from parents as well as pushes the woke ideology queer theory and the idea that a person can be a different gender from what they were biologically born. So the title is, quote, Supporting Gender Expansive Students' Guide, guidance for schools, which explains what to do if students are concerned about their parents finding out about their gender preference. So this goes back to what I have always uh, said, that we do not, as parents, co-parent with the government or share custody and control of our children with the government. The fact that the government and many public schools are now openly encouraging students to hide, whether it's uh, gender, ideology, queer theory, even questions that they're being asked in school or on tests, like we've seen in other cases, from their parents should raise a red flag to Christian parents that you need to be very concerned about what your children are being exposed to if they go to a public school or even if they go to a Christian school. Uh, this is where the Bible teaches us that parents 
our are given to children to train up children in the way they should go in the truth and to ultimately come to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So children are given to parents by God. They are not given to the government. And so when there is a fundamental conflict in worldview and ideology that is being taught and indoctrinated to children in public school, it is incumbent upon parents to get their children out of that and to not expose them to any sort of damaging worldview ideology and certainly nothing that would encourage children to hide anything from their parents. Now, um, most of you know I was homeschooled all the way through. Uh, My parents chose that uh, form of education for me well back before it was even as popular or there were as many options as it is today. But homeschooling is legal in all 50 states and our good friends at the Homeschool Legal Defense Association make sure among many other organizations um, that are pro-family and pro-parent that uh, that remains the case for uh, kids in America. Unfortunately, in other countries, um, that type of education is not available to parents, which is directly in conflict with parents' rights that are God-given. And so if we look at the U.S. Constitution, it's very interesting to me that if you look at the U.S. Constitution, education as an entire subject matter is not given to the federal government. What does that mean? The Department of Education, unconstitutional. Uh, Betsy DeVos has come out after her time in the Trump administration um, serving as the Secretary of Education, saying that she wanted uh, to defund the Department of Education, which would be a great start for Washington to return the fundamental rights to parents for their own decision making on the care, custody, and control, and what they teach to children. It's not just about health safety. It's not just about uh, gender ideology or some of these things. It's also about worldview. It's also about faith. Parents are not just allowed. They don't just have a privilege in this country. They have a constitutionally protected fundamental right that is God-given to direct the education, well-being, and faith options of their children. And so we cannot allow for the government to co-parent in any way. And we are still blessed to live in a society that recognizes fundamental rights of parents. And so if you look at uh, what's going on in each state, if you look at where uh, public education funding uh, comes in, Some of this is not even according to the state's own powers to legislate as well. And so if you are a parent who is considering options for your children, then this story out of Oregon and many other stories uh, from across the country should be a red flag to prayerfully consider what is your role and responsibility before God for the care and training of your children. So the next top story today is that Joe Biden uh, is um, going to visit the border, and he did that today. And it was interesting that his first photo op was actually by the border wall. So I thought that the Democrats uh, were not really fans of uh, border protection. Well, this is probably because he is gearing up to announce his re-election run for president in 2024. Uh, Reports are that he will do that and make that announcement as early as next month or April, if he remembers 
of course, what uh, month it actually is. <laughs> we we all uh, saw that clip that he said uh, in, in the wake of talking about the January 6th anniversary, he said this is July 6th. So whether or not he even knows what month he's going to announce or what year he plans to run for re-election, anybody's guess. Um, it would be shocking to me to see uh, that the Democrats would actually re-nominate him for re-election because he would be, I believe, 86 by the conclusion of a second term. So he uh, is visiting the border today, uh, but the Biden administration ordered El Paso to clean up the border ahead of Biden's visit. So again, according to Town Hall, the Biden administration is being criticized for ordering local and state authorities to clean up the streets and arrest illegal immigrants in El Paso, Texas, just in time for President Joe Biden's visit. The move seems to be an attempt to paint a much different picture than what is happening at the southern border. So uh, Greg Abbott, of course, who is the current governor of Texas, uh, tweeted, El Paso rushes to remove illegal immigrants and migrant camps that are crowding downtown before Biden arrives. Predictable. Biden does not want America to see the chaos that he has caused at the border. This is just a photo op and a game of pretend. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott also tweeted out an open letter that he personally hand-delivered to Joe Biden when Biden came to visit the border. And uh, that letter just encouraged and asked in a strongly worded letter to Biden to please, please, please close the border. This, in my view, is a very weak action uh, on behalf of the governor of Texas, because unlike Don Huffines, who I supported in the Republican primary uh, for re-election for uh, Texas governor, Don Huffines, who was a state senator, has a plan for the governor's office to utilize their constitutional authority. And I'm talking about the U.S. Constitution. Governors can protect their own borders from invasion. They do not need the permission or the authority of the federal government in order to do that. You can go to donhuffines.com and you can read his plan that he has very strongly encouraged Greg Abbott to take and to implement in Texas. But here, Greg Abbott, while saying that he's a Republican and he cares about border control, has done nothing other than issue a very strongly worded letter. So uh, this, in my view, is not nearly uh, acting as powerful of a governor as he actually could be if he truly cares about border enforcement. So finally, uh, the top headline for you today is that the Southwest Airlines holiday uh, collapse could cost up to $825 million. So after one of the largest meltdowns in airline history, Southwest has shared that the issues it faced over the holidays will cost the company upwards of $825 million. So this is not the first time an airline has suffered a costly meltdown, but if you were one of the people who uh, was caught up in all of that, for Southwest, you can go to southwest.com. There is a portal that they are saying that any reasonable reimbursements for out-of-cost expenses that you incurred, not just refunding of your plane ticket, they will reimburse. So if you were one that was caught on that, go to southwest.com and hopefully you will receive a reimbursement. We will be right back with more. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning.
Vice President Kamala Harris, who has always made headlines wherever she goes for word salads and gaffes and whatnot. Uh, she did another misspeak uh, while she was abroad. Uh, Steve, we're going to play this answer, clip. Chris. What's that? Did you call her abroad? While, she, while she's abroad. Oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> oh, excuse no, me. I, okay. I haven't heard that word since yeah. I was a teenager and my dad. Today's Issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. Mom is a face washer, a coupon clipper, and a listening ear. She's a diaper changer, a laundry folder, and a mender of hearts. She's a master juggler of the jobs of the day. She's simply incredible and incredibly busy. At One Million Moms, we understand the hurried pace of the average mom. That's why we've made it so easy for you to take a stand against the trash that's in today's media. Visit OneMillionMoms.com. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his and Lazarus's fame spread. They already planned to kill Jesus, but now, because Lazarus was tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection power, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus too. They never worried about Lazarus before, but now, because he is a walking billboard of Christ's power, they want him dead too. This, brothers and sisters, is why many come against you. It isn't personal, but satanic forces can't stand your representation of God's power to transform lives. That's why we rejoice when we are slandered for his namesake. Christ's power is on display. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. The credit card debt happened when my daughter was born. I was using one credit card account to roll over into another credit card account, and it was snowballing. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called Trinity, the representative understood the need based on the situation. They were great people to work with. From the first phone call that I made, they had me on on a track to mitigate the credit card debt. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. Working with Trinity gave me the ability to save thousands of dollars. My name's Doug, and thanks to Trinity, I'm debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. And welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. I'm Jenna Ellis. And so want to get to this last story as well that you may not have seen on the news uh, is that there is unrest in Brazil today with government buildings uh, being Uh, basically stormed by a lot of the citizens there over the um, outrage of the election results and the non-election of President Bolsonaro there. And so uh, what we're seeing is that there were a lot of uh, protests and storming of government buildings, and there is still a lot of unrest in Brazil. And uh, so in terms of some of the, um, the footage that we've seen on Twitter... 
There's one Brazil political analyst that, as uh, he was taking a selfie and a video, said this about Brazil never becoming communist and not accepting the results of the Brazil election. Uh, listen to this. Here we are, taking Brazil again. The helicopter. Look at this. Look at what they're doing. They're shooting against us. They're using bombs. Look at that. Brazil won't become communism. This is our country. We don't accept the result of the election because it was Brazil was stolen. Brazil was stolen. We want to see who we have voted. Look at that. Federal police using a helicopter. Shooting against us. Federal police. You can hear bombs. Look at that. Look how we are there. It's a crowd. It's our crowd. So that was Brazil political analyst Vinny Rossignolo, I believe is how he pronounces his last name. So you can go on Twitter and see a lot of this just incredibly disturbing footage coming out of Brazil. So to break this all down, uh, my good friend Matt Tiramand, who is a Haggerty Fellow uh, with the Conservative Partnership Institute here in Washington, D.C., joins me now. He is an expert on Brazil, has been there many times. So Matt, thanks so much for joining me today on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Uh, good to be with you, Jenna. Thanks. So, um, so what is the uh, political scene here in Brazil? And uh, you know, kind of take us back through what happened in the election. Um, a lot of people are familiar with Bolsonaro's interviews on Tucker Carlson. Um, how much you know he and former President Trump were very good friends, and he really was changing the course of uh, of Brazil's politics. But now, um, you know, you go back to the election and with people that are very frustrated with this. So. Uh, what exactly is going on in Brazil? Well, it's important to note that from the moment the final tabulation occurred on October 30th, that was the second round, uh, it was a runoff between Lula and Bolsonaro, uh, people took to the streets the day after and have been on the streets in cities across the country, predominantly in the capital in Brasilia, where everything occurred uh, yesterday and where that video that you just uh, highlighted was taken from. Uh, but for now 70 plus days, there's been a massive protest movement of millions and probably, you know, in its crescendo, 10 million plus uh, when you include all the other cities around Brazil. This is the largest human manifestation uh, protest in human history in any constitutional republic, and nobody covered it. Nobody covered it around the world. The Brazilian mainstream press tried to sweep it under the rug. Uh, people did not trust the election results. Uh, they were incredibly angry about the censorship. There was massive censorship coming out of the Supreme Court, where anybody who criticized it, and even leading into the election, anybody who criticized Lula, uh, was uh, deplatformed on social media, uh, many journalists were arrested. Uh, people had their bank accounts frozen. Uh, several journalists are in exile in the U.S., and the same court has put Interpol red notices as if they're drug traffickers uh, on them and tried to get enforcement to extradite them back to Brazil to put them in jail. Uh, so they see their, their democracy being lost, and they've been peacefully protesting uh, for 70 days. There's been no violence, no arson, no cars flipped over. Uh, and they're being very, very maligned by the, the institutionalists around Lula. Uh, moreover, Lula was let out of prison 
uh, to get on the uh, to get on the ballot. Lula was convicted of multiple crimes uh, when he was president last time around. He was impeached, convicted, thrown in jail, and then his judicial appointees let him out of jail, expunged his record, uh, and nobody has trust and faith in this election. And to even question it is to bring the court on you and you become a common criminal. So they've seen their their democracy eroded. The loss of sovereignty is uh, an overhanging worry for the vast majority of people. They have very, very little trust in this process, and they've been protesting. And yesterday it was like a, a tinderbox, and many, many millions of Brazilians came to the Capitol to peacefully protest, and these buildings were empty because there were no sessions going on. Uh, and they marched toward them, and they ended up taking them over. And uh, most of the indications I've seen suggest that there were agents provocateur that, uh, that started doing physical damage. And now already the, the next step, as we've seen, is there's a clampdown and there's attempts to break up their protest. They've got camps with tents outside military barracks. And now uh, Lula and the courts and the justice minister have said, uh, we need to break up these protests because they're terrorists. Now the military's continuing to defend the rights of Brazilians in their constitution, they have the right to protest, to assemble, much like our First Amendment. Uh, but th- this is going to continue to escalate, in my view, and come to a head, because the protesters do not want to leave, and they want to exercise their God-given and constitutional right. Uh, and the courts and Lula's government wants to uh, totally end any, uh, any appearance that there's any uh, pushback on their regime, on their administration. But the whole society wants to push back. Wow. So I'm talking with Matt Tiermand, who is a fellow at the Conservative Partnership Institute in D.C. and an expert on uh, Brazil. And, you know, there's an obvious parallel here, I think, where a lot of people are listening and saying, you know, this sounds a lot like some frustrations that we've had here in the United States over election integrity and being uh, shut down by um, our own government and the Supreme Court uh, by not accepting some of these election challenges. Uh, Has anyone in Brazil, uh, do they have that option to go to the court system? for election challenges. Have those been accepted? Has that been attempted um, over the last, you know, 70 plus days since this happened? Um, Or what really is their option here? I mean, I've also seen um, some reports online that um, there are calls for the internet to be taken down in Brazil so that um, these protesters can't continue to tweet, can't continue to post videos like uh, what I just played earlier. So um, what really is their system of government here? Here. Is it uh, a constitutional republic that parallels the United States in the ability to petition the government for redress? In theory, it's supposed to look like this, but it has been somewhat lost. The separated powers between the three branches have trended toward the weakening of the executive and legislative branches. And what's what's become is a sort of judicial tyranny where the, the judges, nobody holds them to account. The majority of the Supreme Court judges, nine out of 11, uh, were appointed by Lula himself and his successor, Dilma, and her successor, Temer, all heavily corrupted people, well-established to be so, proven out in court. Both Lula and Dilma uh, were impeached and convicted. Lula was in prison, and his appointees let him out. Uh, yes, there have been uh, sort of a, a redress of grievance petitions to the court uh, since the election, including a, mil- a demand for a constitutionally endowed military audit. And the subsidiary court to the Supreme Court, the Electoral Court, uh, which, by the way, has the same chief justice, the Supreme Court and the Electoral Court, a guy named Alexander Marias, who is sort of public number, enemy number one 
within the entire country. He can't go out anywhere because the people view him as the real dictator in the country. Well, he has ignored summarily the military audit, which gave Bolsonaro the constitutional uh, uh, pretext uh, fully justified to invoke a clause in the Constitution, Article 142, that would have the military come in by force and reorder this sort of breakdown and separated powers dispute. It says in the Constitution, if the separated powers are in dispute, obviously, who's going to judge the judges? Well, the Brazilian Constitution says that the military has a right to investigate and adjudicate this sort of dispute. Uh, While they did not act, Bolsonaro did not see this through. He ended up just leaving, even though that's what the protesters were demanding uh, over this uh, 55, 60 days uh, before Lula uh, was inaugurated on New Year's Day. And uh, the military did not execute this. Uh, so the, the protesters, the people on the ground, they feel somewhat, uh, somewhat lost. They feel that the democracy and sovereignty have been taken from them. Uh, and that kind of leads you to what's next. And it probably looks like some sort of uh, more forceful civil uh, disobedience and violence, because there are no constitutional mechanisms left when those who are the arbiters of the Constitution are uh, putting everybody in jail who questions their authority. Uh, Basically, Brazil's lost a democracy, and very few people believe Lula's legitimate. Of course, the global elite uh, have been doing everything they can, hand in glove, to move him in as quick as they can, because Bolsonaro was a threat to the global order. He was a sovereignist in the sort of Westphalian uh, mode, same as Trump, uh, same as they, you know, Orban in Hungary and the Polish right and many of the other right-wing parties. And so they have ignored every abuse of power of the left, of Lula, of the Supreme Court. Uh, there were a couple of pieces by the New York Times leading into the election by their correspondent that highlighted these abuses of power. So many journalists in prison. By the way, 800 warrants have been issued for journalists, for pastors and protest leaders. Uh, Polit- elected political officials, Carlos Zambelli, uh, Biakisis, uh, Gustavo Geyer, Nicholas Ferreira, elected officials have been deplatformed or being threatened with jail, and they will be put in jail. Uh, I believe that uh, with Lula in, and by the way, Lula was a mentor to Chavez and Maduro and Ortega and Morales and every other communist in Latin America. He created the Sao Paulo Forum in 1990 with Fidel Castro to spread political Marxism through Latin America. So when people tell you who they are, believe them. Uh, if the people do not rise up, then Brazil is going to trend towards Venezuela, which Lula believes is a feature, not a bug. Uh, this is a guy who has said that Maduro uh, and Chavez are heroes, and they've done a great job in Venezuela. So this is a big worry for us as well, because now the entire Latin American continent uh, is going to become a Marxist superstate uh, in very, very close ties with China. Yeah, which, you know, this story is just wild. And the fact that mainstream media is not covering this more, uh, to me, is not really shocking, but it's disappointing. And it's just right along with uh, the media that continues to push this sort of Marxist communist worldview. And so has Joe Biden uh, talked about this at all? Has America responded to this in any meaningful way? When you look at uh, what's going on in Brazil, and you know, you look at uh, the state of our foreign policy. Um, and you also look at potentially uh, what was going on with any sort of online censorship with American organizations like Twitter before Elon Musk took over. Um, has there been any uh, anything that has come out in terms of censorship on the part of the U.S. platforms that could have played into this? Well, a couple of years ago when Mariah started whole, uh, wholly censoring masks 
Watts, the Supreme Court justice, uh, the social media companies pushed back and he threatened them with expulsion from the country. And so they got in line pretty quickly. And it's only continued to accelerate in the in the time period between the first round, October 2nd, and the second round runoff, October 30th. Uh, he legislated from the bench by fiat, as uh, as these judges have been doing now for, for quite some time, and said that we now have the power to kick anybody off social media. And if a social media company doesn't comply within two hours, uh, we will start fining them. And if uh, they ignore the fines for X amount of days, we'll kick them out of the country. Uh, the U.S. has been very uh, much uh, a, a willing handmaiden in this. Uh, a year, it was reported a year ago that uh, when Biden came in, he sent uh, uh, William Burns, the head of the CIA, down to Brazil to threaten uh, Bolsonaro and his administration not to stand in the way of anything that might happen in this election, including a wholesale steal, which is what the majority of the population believes occurred. There's been no transparency on the machines, uh, and that's all that people demand is show us the source code, show us the machines, uh, and even the mention or demand for such by an ordinary citizen gets them on the fake news investigation list, and I cannot make up how or well that is anybody who criticizes the anti-democratic nature of the Supreme Court as an institution and its mass censorship gets put on a targeted criminal list under this sort of umbrella investigation, literally called the fake news investigation. And the pretext is you are assaulting democratic institutions by even suggesting we're anything uh, less than honest. Uh, this is a full sort of Soviet uh, mentality that exists. And Biden said uh, the moment that the tabulation was done on October 30th with people already screaming, we want an audit because these anomalies are insane. Every down-ballot race of the Bolsonaro and Dorsey won, but Bolsonaro lost in regions where he did very well in his party. Uh, all sorts of anomalies like this, fiscal anomalies. I wrote about it for CDM.press, many articles uh, between the first and the second round, after the second round. Uh, and Biden said immediately October 30th after the final tabulation, uh, these uh, congratulations to Lula da Silva fair free, on a fair free incredible elections. You know what? We think wow. the lady does protest too much. Ten seconds after the balloting closes, you have no idea if they're fair, free, incredible. So the fix has been in for quite a while. Yeah. And, and Matt Tierman, I really appreciate your commentary today. You can follow him on Twitter, even though um, I think that he's going to be one that uh, it will come out that you've been shadow banned quite a bit. But uh, you can find him on Twitter. Um, and what's your Twitter handle there? It's um, I believe it's at Matthew Tierman, which is T-Y-R-M-A-N-D. So Matt, really appreciate your analysis there. And, you know, friends, this is why we have to make sure that we demand accountability here in the United States for our own free and fair elections and to make sure that election integrity happens. That's one of the number one questions I get all the time is what happens now when our government doesn't want to be transparent? We've seen everything that's gone on in Arizona. We've seen everything, of course, that happened in the 2020 election. This is why you have to be engaged citizens and go to your state legislatures and demand not only that they pass election integrity reforms, but they have enforcement. So we'll be talking about all of this and more continuing here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I will see you tomorrow morning. And for more interviews, you can go to thejennaellisshow.com. I will see you tomorrow. Have a great Monday. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.